And uh, growing up in a very traditional Baptist church, um, raising hands was one of those things you're kind of like, oh, what is this? And then as you kind of grow and you kind of understand a little bit, it's okay. And so this morning, if, if you engage in worship in a certain way and you kind of start raising your hands, here, here's one of the things. You'll start thinking about this in some ways, and you'll think, am I washing the windows or what I'm doing? But what I want you to think about is just engaging in worship. And as you hear the words, as you think about the words, just think about what is God saying to me and what are the truths in here and uh, just allow you to kind of get a little comfortable in some ways. And growing up in a Baptist church, one of the other things that we did is we talked about God a lot. We knew a lot about God. We knew a lot about Jesus. And we would talk about Jesus and God and all that. But one of the things that we struggled with and continue to struggle with is this idea of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit, but then we're kind of like, you know, we don't want to go too far. We don't understand the Holy Spirit sometimes. It's just this this thing that we can't quite grasp and put in a box uh, for whatever reason. And so this morning, I want us, as we continue our series on creed, I want us to think a little bit about the Holy Spirit and how we can live a Holy Spirit-filled life and what that looks like for us and um, from a biblical perspective. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to get into Galatians chapter 5 at some point. Now, we're going to look at some other different verses but um, before we get there, but turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 or grab one underneath there or you'll see some of the verses up here on the front. Um, One of the truths that we know is that whenever we say yes to Jesus, we become a new creation in him. As a matter of fact, that passage that says new creation, it literally means that we are melted down and that we are melted down and a new substance is infused into us as we are raised up again. And that new substance, as we know and understand, is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that once we were before Christ, it was just us trying to do life in our own power and our own strength. But as a new creation, we're melted down and the Holy Spirit is put in there as we're raised up to newness of life. And so we're of a new substance. There's something different about us. So you can kind of think of it as I have new DNA. Now, recently I got to go to a family reunion and I haven't gotten to do a whole lot of those because I live so far away. But recently I got to go to the family reunion. And one of the things is when we walked in and began to see everybody at different ages, my kids began to kind of chuckle, and I'm like, what are you laughing at? And they're like, Dad, we can see you when you were like at 12 years of age. We can see what you look like when you were 25 years of age. We can see what you're going to look like when you're 35. We can see what you're going to look like at 50. We can see what you're going to look like at even 75 and 80 years of age. My mom is the baby of 11. Okay, so you can imagine. There's some, some of my aunts and uncles are 80s and 90s in pushing that. And so you get to see what you're going to look like, good and bad. Right. So this is a part of my DNA, this good looking hairdo that I've got. That's a part of my DNA. This tall person that I am, these strong muscles are part of my DNA. All right. As a matter of fact, I'm the runt of all my cousins. Most of my cousins are six, two, six, three and big, strong dudes. I'm like the runt of the family. I got all of the extras. I don't know what it is, but I've got the DNA. Okay. And so we as followers of Christ been injected with the DNA of the Holy Spirit And as we grow in our faith and we grow in our knowledge, we look more and more like the Father. We look more and more like Jesus. And people begin to see something different in us. And that difference in us is the Holy Spirit, the new DNA that we have. We look differently. We have different taste buds. All the things about our life begin to look differently. People say, what is different about you? You can say, it is my new DNA through the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we have this, this, continue this idea of thinking about how we can live a spirit-filled life, I want you to grasp this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And when you believed in Christ, 
He identified you. He gave you his DNA by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. There's even going to be those moments where there was one time I'd been somewhere for a little bit and and uh, one of my kids walked into the room and they said, hey, you are Chris's kid. How did they know? Because my kids got my DNA. They look like me. Poor kids, right? They look like me. And so there's no way we can get away from it. As we, the longer we spend with Jesus, the more we get to know him, the more we have an understanding and a knowledge of him, we begin to look and act and say everything begins to look a little bit more like Jesus. And it's inescapable that people will see you and say, you are a Jesus follower. Even happened to Jesus' disciples early on. People said to Peter, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Why? Because they'd seen him and they saw a difference in him and saw his life and they saw that he was a follower of him. The same is true for us. That the longer that we spend doing life with him, the more we begin to look and act and people identify us with him. As a matter of fact, in Romans 8, for his Holy Spirit speaks deep to us in his hearts and tells us that we are God's children. That we know that we know that we know. We've talked about this a few times, is that there's a difference between just knowing here, but there's a there's a, an experiential knowledge, and it all throughout the Old Testament, in particular in the New Testament, it talks about us having an experiential knowledge and experience with Jesus. And through that experiential knowledge that we know that we know that we know that we're his children. And that's what Romans chapter 8 is telling us, is that there's going to be moments where God speaks deep to your heart whenever you're struggling with, am I a child of God? And the Holy Spirit speaks deep to you and says, yes, Chris, you are a child of mine, whatever that moment is. And you know that you know that you know. You can't explain it necessarily, but that you know. And even whenever you share your faith story and what God's doing, sometimes you can't put words to it, but you can say, listen, I know because I've experienced it. And that's the beauty of what it means to know Jesus and to see his Holy Spirit take residence with inside of us and transform us. Now in Galatians chapter 5, I told you we'd get there. In Galatians chapter 5 it says this, if we are living now by the Holy Spirit, he's taking residence with inside of us and he's motivating us and empowering us. If you're now living by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every areas of our lives. Now one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago was that Jesus was our great shepherd. And as our great shepherd, he would lead before us, that he would take us in a path that he had already gone before, he'd already inspected, even if it was a potentially a dangerous path, he even knew all the potential spots of danger. He knew where the, the good spots where we could stop maybe for a moment along the journey and rest, but that ultimately there was a destination that he wanted to take us to and that he had scouted out the journey, he had scouted out the trip so that he could get us to the place, the destination where we could we could rest and we could sup and we could eat and, and have fellowship with him in a deep fellowship with him. And so here's the same idea is that the Holy Spirit has trodden the path. He knows exactly where we're going. The Holy Spirit's not pushing us, but he's asking us to follow. Again, a place where he's already gone. He's already checked out everything. He knows where he's taking us. He's not taking us somewhere that he doesn't know, understand, and hasn't always experienced. And so for us as the children of the king, for us as children of Jesus, it says to us, follow when you're compelled, when you're being convinced, when you're being led by the Holy Spirit, follow and trust that he's already scouted out the trip and the journey. And he's only going to take you to a place that's life-giving to you. That yes, maybe along the journey, there may be some places where you look over the edge and you think, man, this is dangerous. And the Holy Spirit will use the rod of discipline and say, hey, look up here, follow me. Don't look at the distractions. Don't look at the things that may seem dangerous. 
follow me to the place of life. I'm taking you where you need to go. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. It's the beauty of Jesus being our shepherd. So this morning I want us to grasp this. To live a spirit-filled life, number one, means that I will allow the Holy Spirit to convict me. That I will allow the Holy Spirit to convict me. Now, that seems like a kind of a harsh word, but so let's kind of change that just a little bit. It's changing in a good way, in the right way. Convict, maybe a better word, better understanding of that word convict is actually convince. That we should be convinced to follow the Holy Spirit. That allow Him to convince me. In John chapter 16, it says, When the Holy Spirit has come, He will convince us. Literally, that this is a... a, a a change and an adaptation, something that happens in our mind and our heart and our soul. And that in the Hebrew thinking, that whenever they talked about the mind and the heart and soul, this was one thing that's kind of all tied. There was a seat of emotions. There was a seat of driving. And that the Holy Spirit has come so that he will convince us, right, convince us of the things that of sin, of things that are against God. And so this idea of the Holy Spirit has come to convince us to show to our mind, our seat of our emotions, that we're, there's availability of God's goodness, God's grace, God's forgiveness, and that then we would also experience deliverance um, from judgment. And this idea of deliverance is one that we're a formal announcement of freedom. So that the Holy Spirit will come to convince us that we understand fully that we have sinned, that we have messed up, and that because of that, that there's also the availability of God's goodness and grace that so that we can then be announced by the great judge free from the stuff that's held us back. It's a beautiful image for us. Immediately in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Immediately the Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. Now the other part of this that we understand is that Jesus, why would Jesus be compelled by the Holy Spirit? Because In this moment, we gather and understand a little bit more that Jesus was 100% God, but also while he was on earth, he was 100% human, that he had submitted himself, as we understand in Philippians chapter 2, he'd submitted himself to the authority of God the Father, and he submitted himself to the authority of the Holy Spirit. So in this moment, immediately after his baptism, the Holy Spirit compelled him, literally pushed him out and said, listen, this is the next phase, go into the wilderness. This is where you need to go. This is the beginning of your public ministry. Go out here into the place of temptation. Now, this seems odd to us that God would lead Jesus into a place of temptation where he knew that he was going to be tempted. But listen, here's the thing that we have to understand is that God fully understand what was going to happen. And Jesus was fully prepared in advance for the task that was ahead. And the same is true for us is that we are fully prepared for where he wants us to go. Now, listen, we have a tendency to love living where we're comfortable. Like you have a house, you love your house, you have a little comfortable thing, you have your this foods that you cook, you like the same foods over and over and over again, right? Whether that's spaghetti, lasagna, whatever, am I right? Y'all have things that you like. And then you also like to have your little Netflix binges or whatever you're watching. We love our little thing. And then all of a sudden, sometimes as followers of Jesus, we're felt compelled to go somewhere and to do something different. And for many of us, this is fearful. And so this is the idea is that we live comfortable, cozy lives. We kind of create our own little world. And then as followers of Jesus, there's moments where he says, hey, listen, I've got a party for you to go to. And that means we've got to get out of our comfy clothes. We've got to get dressed. We've got to do our hair. We've got to put on our smell good sauce. 
We've got to do all those different things. And that means that we're going to be out of our comfortable little place where we control the agenda, where we control who we meet and who we talk to. And now we're at a party where people are going to come up and talk to us, and there's different opportunities for us. And so what Jesus is saying in this moment, what's happening is, is that when we are compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to new places, is we're moved out of our comfort zone to a new place that is different than what we're used to. And so we have new things. And so Galatians chapter 5 says, it is for freedom that you've been set free. And so now you're here in this place where the party's happening and you're free and you want to dance or you want to, you want to get into it, you want to get into things. But listen, on the other, on, other end, you're like, man, I really like my comfortable thing. And Jesus is saying to us, is, listen, I've compelled you through the Holy Spirit. The struggle for us as followers of Jesus is that right here we don't control the agenda. Right here, we don't control what God's going to be doing. We don't control what's going to be happening. And, and for most of us, if not all of us, that's an uncomfortable thing. And so that's the struggle with us as followers of Jesus, this Holy Spirit thing, is that we, have, we like life over here, but he wants to move us many times over here so we can experience the full life that he has for us. And to experience that full life means we have to surrender in that moment and, and, and experience the fullness of being in this place. But we want control. Jesus was compelled and moved out. And so sometimes this feels like the safe place. But over here, God wants us to move us to a place over here. The other struggle with this is when we move to this place over here, and it's kind of out of our control, we think to ourselves, are my clothes good enough? Am I, do I look good enough? Do I have the right words? If someone walks up to me and they're really important, am I going to be able to, to have the right things to say? And so in that moment, we begin to ask the question, am I sufficient? And again, this is the wrong thing for us to begin to think about because over here we're sufficient, right? Because I've got my own kingdom, my own world, my own stuff. But when God compels us and moves us over into this other place, we begin to ask the question, am I sufficient? Am I good enough to be over here? And the answer to that question is no. The answer, the right answer is, is that we are not sufficient, but he is sufficient. So when he moves us from a place of comfort... And of what we know and what we're kind of okay with to a place over here where we kind of don't understand it, don't fully comprehend it. And it may seem like a dangerous place and we may not feel that we're sufficient enough is to understand that God is sufficient and he's called us here for a purpose and a reason. So the first thing I want you to grasp is to live a spirit-filled life. The number one thing is that you need to be able to be convinced, okay, to be moved forward, to be guided to the place of where there's even greater freedom for you. That's the, the first point of living a spirit-filled life. The second point is that he moves us to a place where we also, even though it may seem like a dangerous place, it's also a place of comfort for us, is that he allows us to be comforted by him. Look over in, um, in another passage in John, John chapter 16. He says this, Jesus, But I will send the comforter. Now underline that, circle it, whatever you do. If you don't have your Bibles, write in your little notes or whatever, comforter, and write this word, paraclete. Y'all like that word? Not a parakeet. Paraclete. Paraclete. Think pair, okay? And what you're grasping here is this is a comforter or an encourager, but also the military term of we go in twos and I've got your back. And so what Jesus is saying, when I go, when I leave, I'm sending the guy that's going to have your back, and that person that's going to have your back is the Holy Spirit. So when you move from your place of comfort 
and you're compelled, you're convinced that God's moving you from this place of comfort to this place over here where he's saying there's more freedom, and you're thinking to yourself, but God, I'm not sufficient. I don't have the strength. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the experience. God's saying, you're right, but I've given you the comforter. I've given you the paraclete. I've given you the one who's got your back, who is sufficient. So in that place where there's more freedom that may seem like it's scary, he's taking you to that place. He's like, listen, I've been here before. I know the right questions. I know the right answers. I've got your back. Literally, we are back to back. And in those moments where something seems overwhelming and you can't win the victory, God says, listen, boom, I've got your back and I will fight. I will be literally the overcomer for you that you don't have the power to overcome. Beautiful image. That God has got our back. And listen, there's going to be moments this week coming up that you're going to be in great distress. That you're going to be overcome and you're going to be like, I don't even have the answers. I don't even know the right questions. But the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, even speaks for us. Look at this. Romans chapter 8. Paul's talking to the church in Romans and there's all kinds of stuff going on. And here's what he says. Life's not going to be easy, right? And so he says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. Now, there's different levels of distress. You have those moments where you can't get the dishwasher working or whatever, and you're like, oh, and you're frustrated, or you can't get your DVR working right. We had that moment last night, and we're just like, who messed up the DVR? And we're all pointing fingers at everybody, and it was a low moment of distress. Do you ever have those moments? Yeah, and everybody's pointing fingers, and you're like, oh, and then you think, this is crazy. Why are we fighting over this? Just a DVR. But then there's moments where like it is like high stress. You're on the side of the highway. Everybody's going 950 miles an hour. You've got a flat tire. Your rear end's hanging out. You feel like you're going to get run over. And what am I going to do? And it may not necessarily be that situation, but life situation feels like it's zooming by and more and more stuff is being thrown at you. And you're like, I can't handle this anymore. I'm totally in distress. And God says to us in this passage in Romans chapter 8, for we don't even know what we should pray for. In other words, we, we don't even know the questions. We don't even know the right things to say and know how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit, God with inside of us, groans for us. He knows us. He knows exactly what to pray. And even in those moments of great distress, He calls out for us. This is God the Father, your child. So in distress, they don't even know what to pray, they don't even know what to ask, they don't even know what's going on. They're curled up in a fetal position, and so I cry out on their behalf. I've got your back. That is the beauty of God in us through the Holy Spirit, is that deposit, that inheritance that we've got that we don't fully grasp and understand. How does God take residence with inside of us for those moments of distress that we don't even understand that he calls out and draws us. And one of the things that he does is he reminds us of the truths like this that we're learning that you've learned in VBS, that you've learned in Sunday school or in your life group or whenever you've gathered around at some point and you've heard scriptures and maybe you've not even memorized them, but you just heard them and that the word says that it, it sits and it marinates on your soul and your heart and your mind. And in that moment when you need it most, God calls it back to memory and you're, you're reminded of it and God groans out for you that that is the beauty of the God Holy Spirit taking residence with inside of us. And Ephesians chapter 3.16 says it this way, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, God the Father will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. 
that in those moments when it hits the fan and you're like, I cannot do this in my own strength, God is saying, good. In your weakness, I'm strong. In those moments when you just cry out, He cares for you, comforts you, and provides for you. Even when you don't have the right answers, He's there providing. Where do you need comfort and encouragement? Where do you need an I got your back right now in your life? The Holy Spirit is there working to convince you. The Holy Spirit is there saying, I've got your back. I know that life is not working out like you've dreamed. This is not a part of your plan or a part of your agenda, and you're in a difficult place, you're distressed, but as you can't even figure out the words, the Holy Spirit's crying out and saying, I've got your back. I'm here to comfort you and to provide for you and to care for you, even though we don't fully understand it. beauty of a Spirit-filled life. A Spirit-filled life is one that you're allowed to be convinced and compelled by the Spirit of God. A Spirit-filled life is one that you're allowed to be comforted and encouraged by the Spirit of God. And then finally, a Spirit-filled life is one that you're allowed to give over control. Again, one of the things that Jesus did in His fullness of His humanity, He submitted Himself under the role of God the Father and under the Holy Spirit. He was compelled to move out into the wilderness. And the same is true for us, is that for us to experience the fullness of what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian is to allow ourselves to surrender control to our agenda and to our plans sometimes so that He can live through us. To surrender. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says to the church of Galatia, My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. In other words, be moved by Him. Be empowered by Him. Like dynamite, empower something. Be moved by that. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. In other words, the stuff that we take in in life that literally ends up causing us pain, shame, and regret, all of those things are sins that are selfish. They end up hurting us and hurting those around us. And so to, to not live a life of pain, shame, and regret and pursuing stuff that's selfish means to surrender to the Spirit of God. And it's this idea of every single day that we wake up, a battle takes place. So that's why that even Paul tells us that we should, in Ephesians, he says, hey, what? Put on your battle gear. Because the moment that you get up, put on your battle gear because a battle is about to happen. And he continues this thought here, and he gives us an idea of trench warfare. And that the moment that you wake up, put on your battle gear, get in the trench, because war is about to happen. And the enemy is lobbing and is looking to snipe you. And to pick you off. And it's at that moment where you're feeling good about yourself. And you're like, this is the week. I haven't messed up. I've got it under control. It's all about me. Look at this God. Look, I am highly religious and righteous this week. In that moment when you feel like you've got it under control is the moment that you are sniped. You know what I mean? The pride comes before the fall. Okay? And so it's in that moment that you think, hey, I've got it. And you kind of tell the Holy Spirit, hey, you've been good to this point. But I'm going to set you to the side. I've got my own little thing going on. That's the moment that you're sniped. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, here's what it says. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their moral muscles. So think about this. This is like going to the gym. Some of y'all have been to the gym before. I've been once, twice. And go to the gym, <coughs> and there's always these people. As a matter of fact, Planet Fitness has this thing called the clunk alarm because they don't like these people. These are the people that they get there, and they go to the gym, and they see the mirrors. There's mirrors over the gym that you've ever been to, 
And the reason is so that we can flex our muscles. All right, thank you very much. You've been here before. Good job. Muscles. So you see that you got the guy or the girl, they look at themselves in the mirror and they're like, looks good. And then they go, yeah. And they kind of do this whole thing like that. And then they, they get on there and then they get to the, to the bench or the squats. And I've seen this a few times and they're usually, they're pretty bulky people. And they get there and they're like, and they start doing stuff and they're like, Right? Some of you are laughing because I've seen y'all in the gym doing it. Like, and why are they doing it? Because it does not help. I tried one time. I was like, this guy can lift all this weight. I'm going to try it. And it was like, you know? And so what is it doing? It's drawing attention unto yourself. And this is what Paul is talking about here is that we have a tendency in our righteousness to try to flex our moral muscle and to say, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing, and we're flexing our moral muscle instead of allowing the Spirit of God to move us. We kind of think, I could do it in my own strength and in my own power. Look how I've done good. Because we do a really good job of cleaning up and pretending to do church. It's real easy to get up at 8, 9, 15, 10, 30, 11 o'clock and go to church and to clean up and to appear as if we're pretty good people and to flex our moral muscle. But it's a whole different thing to submit our life under the authority of the Holy Spirit and to be moved by Him. Because we have a comfortable little world over here and He moves us to a place that says, listen, I've got so much more for you, but over here we can flex our muscles when we want to flex them. And we can even show the muscles we want people to see. Because you've ever been to the gym and you've got guys that are like really big up top and they've never met a leg day in their life. Right? And so that's us sometimes is we're really good at certain things and we don't struggle with certain sins. And so we've kind of got this little thing that, hey, we've got it all together. But really and truly, we're just flexing our moral muscle. What kind of what, but over here, we get to this place and we've got to go to the next place that God wants us. And in that moment, God says, listen, you really need to do a leg day. And you're like, maybe not for me. Maybe not for me. The Holy Spirit, when we submit under control, the Holy Spirit moves us and guides us and directs us and even points out the fact of, hey, listen, you've got some parts that you still need to work on. Continued on in Romans chapter 8, he says, those who are controlled by God find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. And then finally, In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, there at the end, God's talking about this whole time in Galatians chapter 5. He's talking about if it is for freedom that you've been set free. And he he talks about this this battle going forth, back and forth. And he kind of closes out this passage in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, there's fruit that's produced. When the Holy Spirit takes over, whenever we allow the DNA, our new DNA to take over, we're going to start looking a little bit different. We're going to start acting a little bit different. We're going to start thinking a little bit different. We're going to start talking a little bit different. We're going to start loving on people a little bit differently. And people are going to start looking at us and asking us what's different about you because they're going to start seeing fruit, fruit that wasn't there before. They're going to see something different. They're going to say, how come you're loving differently? How come there's your life is, is 
crazy and it seems like everything is crumbling around you, but you still happen to have joy. And it's because we can say, hey, my joy is not found in my circumstances. My joy is not found in the things that I have. My joy is found upon my salvation in Christ that never changes. So I can have peace, peace that's a whole body, whole person peace, not just a peace for a moment or whatever, because, again, my salvation is found in him. I can have patience because he's shown patience with me, and I know that it's a lot of patience. So he can, I can have patience with others. I can extend kindness to others because I've experienced kindness. I understand what goodness means and faithfulness means because I've experienced it. I'm looking like my father because my father is showing it to me time and time again. And the more time that I spend with the father, the more I'm going to look like him. And the more I look like him, people are going to say, I want what you've got. And you've got to say, I know Jesus. And I've surrendered control of my life. To the Holy Spirit. And He's moving in me. And through that, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is happening because of this. It's not because I'm sufficient. It's because He's sufficient. In my insufficiency, He raises up and says, we can do this together. I've got your back. Where do you need to be convinced? Where do you need to be comforted? Where do you need to surrender control? The Holy Spirit, Spirit Spirit-filled life is what life is about. I challenge you to quit living over here. Pretending that you've got it all together. That you've put on the right clothes, you've put on the right whatever, you've flexed the right moral muscles, the things that you don't struggle with, you continue to to pretend that you've got it all together. Instead, let's move over here where there's even more freedom. Yes, it's scary because you don't set the agenda. You don't set the party list. You don't know who's coming. You don't know what's happening. But it's not about that. It's about the opportunities that God has for you and that you are not sufficient. He is and enjoy the life that he has set for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have been set free through Christ. Lord, I pray that as followers of you that we would not settle for the areas of life that we got under control, but Father, we would move to a place of freedom. Free, animated, God-powered life. Father, may you convince us this morning that you are sufficient. May you comfort us. May may we know that you've got our back. Father, may we submit what we think we've got under control. May we submit it to you and to give you control. For it's in your son's name that we pray.